check. Oh, much better, much better. Sadly, Pastor Joel was not able to be here this morning to give the pastoral address, so you get the B team. Um, he's, he's unwell, I trust, recovering, but he's unwell, and so I've been asked to speak. Um, and what was clear to me from talking with Gary and from talking with Mary is, is their number one desire is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth. And so I'll end my address where Pastor Daniel just read with some comfort and encouragement to believers, but... I want to spend most of my time speaking to helping, giving aid to those of you here this morning who may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I want to begin by reading a passage which may seem unusual for a funeral, but I think is very relevant. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 says this, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song fools. What Solomon is saying in this passage in Ecclesiastes may seem strange at first. He says it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. Why might that be? Well, he tells us because, he says, this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. And so I'm going to say something that I'm sure you all know, but I'm equally sure Many of you spend much energy distracting yourself from thinking about, and that is this. Every single one of us is headed for a box like this. Every single one of us. Ten out of ten people die. And so making sense of that, preparing for that, is the only sane thing you can do, and yet we all spend so much of our time pretending I don't think we pretend to ourselves that we won't die, but it's a long way off. I've got a lot of time, and our world is filled with distractions. And so Solomon says it's actually good. It's good to come to a funeral, better even than a wedding, because at a house of sorrow, at a funeral, we consider the end of mankind, and living will lay it to heart. So let me begin by considering what do we make of death? One, one possibility is that death is as meaningless as life is, that we are just atoms in motion. We're cosmic space dust doing what our chemicals do at a particular temperature. And we sometimes tell ourselves these things. I'd, I'd say that's the song of fools that Solomon speaks of, but we don't live that way. We don't live as if our life is meaningless. The sorrow, the grief that you feel is not meaningless. But understand, if death is the end, it is meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. And you might say, well, no, we still remember Gary. Well, you're going to die. And eventually, Gary and you and all of us will be forgotten as the universe goes on doing what it does. Utterly meaningless. That's the song of fools 
No, there is profound meaning to what we're doing here. Gary's life, Gary's death has meaning. Your grief, your sorrow is real and significant. But telling ourselves that nothing comes after death and we just die, we go back to the dirt, erodes the foundation of any real meaning. That's the song of fools. No, the biblical account is that death is the evidence and the proof and the judgment that we are all broken and sinful. That, that's the biblical ev- narrative. The Bible insists that death entered the world to warn us in a way that we cannot look away from. You're, you're here this morning. You cannot look away. You can try, but there's a box in front of you with a dead man. That death is the consequence for sin. The author of Hebrews says this, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, which means death then is not even the worst thing that can happen, but death itself is a harbinger, a warning of a judgment to come afterwards, a judgment we will all fail in and of ourselves. Death is a warning. It entered the world. It came in through Sin, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, no, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the first thing in understanding a funeral and understanding the end of man is that you and I are headed for death, and that death is not a meaningless cosmic accident and what matter does. Rather, it is a judgment and a warning. It is a just judgment and a just warning. You and I, Gary, deserve to die because of our sin. And that's a word you don't hear often outside of church buildings. What is sin? But defying God, living life as you please, not as though you have a maker, not being thankful to him, not giving glory to him, being your own God, your own rule maker, And all of us, by nature, are born that way. Gary shared with Daniel in the car how he particularly lived rebelliously, godlessly. The Bible insists that the wages of sin is death. Death is a paycheck, a payment, a recompense for sinful living, of which we all do. So the first point in understanding a funeral is this. We're all headed here, and we're all headed here justly rightly, even as we abhor it, even as we cry out against it, even as we endeavor not to think about it. This is where we're headed, and it's right. God is not unjust in this judgment. The author of Ecclesiastes encourages us, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. It's not pleasant to consider that you and I deserve death. That death, on top of the end of this life and the joys it gives, is a judgment and ushers us into a true and final judgment. But wisdom starts recognizing this. The Song of Fools says, don't worry, there's no judgment. Don't worry, death is meaningless. Wisdom would rebuke you 
into recognizing your sinfulness, recognizing the rightness of God's judgment. Hear the rebuke of the wise and recognize your guilt. Now Solomon doesn't want us to hear the rebuke of the wise just to make us sad. He actually says, sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Solomon would have you and I go to a funeral and have you and I hear the rebuke of the wise and have you and I become sorrowful that we might experience joy. He's no sadist. And I don't say the hard things that I say out of any delight in, in, in making you feel worse. But if we can hear the rebuke of the wise, if we can recognize the just punishment of our sin, first seen in death, and death itself pointing to a final judgment of heaven and hell and life and death, then we can press on to the gladness of heart, the joy that can come. Because the Bible's story about death does not end there. There is good news. There is great news. And the good news is this. God himself in his love for us is also grieved by death, abhors death. We see this most clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ. He showed up after a dear friend of his had died, Lazarus. And in John 11, we read, when Jesus saw her weeping, Lazarus' sister, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his heart and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. The Lord Jesus Christ himself agrees with us that death is awful. He abhorred it as well. And ultimately, we're told that is why he himself endured death. The author of Hebrews tells us the meaning of Jesus' incarnation and his birth and his life and his death. And in one sense, you could frame it about a mission to put death to death. That one day there will be no more funerals like this. The author of Hebrews says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's an interesting statement. The fear of death enslaving us, directing how we act. But I digress. For surely it is not for angels that he helps, but he offers help to the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those when being tempted. There's a lot that's said there. I just want to point out, this passage makes clear, Jesus took on flesh and blood. He became like you and I, and he went to a cross, and he experienced death, that he might put death to death, that he might atone for and pay for our sins. This is why you start with the bad news, because the good news is there is a redeemer. There is forgiveness. There is satisfaction. There is one who can pay for, who has paid for the sins of his people. That you and I cannot do in our own flesh, please God, live perfectly. 
because we're all by nature sinful. The Lord Jesus, by living a perfect life and on the cross, voluntarily taking upon himself our guilt, our sin, has atoned for, has made a way of forgiveness. That, that is incredibly good news. That is the good news that made Gary unafraid of death. Yes, I heard him say that many a time. I'm not afraid of dying. I know where I'm going. The rest of us are held slavery, in slavery, by a lifelong fear of death because we know we're not righteous and our consciences convict us and we fear death and we don't want to think about it and we'll be distracted by anything lest we consider it. Hear the rebuke of the wise. Sorrow is better for the heart than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, who died on a cross willingly. He tasted death, that he might put to death death. That's, that's the language of 1 Corinthians 15. But the good news demands a response. If, if this is what God has done, to put an end to funerals, that we might escape final judgment, that we might experience life everlasting. What must we do to be saved? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was clear. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, when he began his preaching and teaching ministry, he entered into Galilee saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The apostle Paul talking to the Ephesian elders about his ministry and his teaching, summarized it this way. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is fundamentally a turning from something. You and I were born rebels to God. Our rebellion expressed itself different ways. Some rebels are just self-righteous, moral people, self-satisfied. Others throw themselves headlong into self-destructive habits. It makes no difference. We wanted to define the rules. We wanted to call the shots. We wanted to live as we pleased and saw fit. And repentance is turning from that, renouncing that. I, I, I was alienated with my God. I was in rebellion to him. And now I'd be reconciled. Now I would... Pursue him and his will. And faith is what you're turning to. I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm not going to trust in my good deeds. I'm not going to trust in the song of fools that says death is meaningless and life is meaningless. I'm going to trust in one who paid my debt, who satisfied God's holy justice. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to trust in him. Or as John 3.16 says so simply, so beautifully, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what do we make of death? Death is where we are all headed. The judgment hangs over us. And at any moment we might die, Gary got a relatively long span of life, and we heard about how God's grace preserved him again and again from death. God was good in giving us so many years with Gary, but he's not promised you or I that many years. You or I might be called to stand before the Lord this very day. 
There is no promise that we will draw our next breath. And in light of that, preparing for this box, this service that will be held for you, almost certainly, is is the only sane thing you can do. Recognize the insanity of refusing to think about it, refusing to deal with it, coming to grips with it, kidding yourselves. Oh, I've got so much time. Especially given the magnitude of the good news available. If you can recognize your sin, if you can recognize the justice of God's judgment, that you and I deserve death and worse, judgment and hell. And we can turn in faith to the one who lived the life we could not live. Recognize your inability in yourself to please God perfectly. And Rejoice in the hope that he has sent his son to do for us what we could not do. Trust in his righteousness, his life, his death. Turn from all other gods and all other things you're building your life on and trust in him. And you can have life now and you, like Gary, can be unafraid to die because you too will know where you're going. Let me close by reading the encouragement the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He refers to people who have fallen asleep, which is a, a nice way of saying died. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. See, now I'm going to try to make some sense for believers of this service. And for us, our sorrow is mixed with joy. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When Jesus comes, Gary's going to be with him. When Jesus comes, Gary's going to be with him. For this we declare to you, that by a word from the Lord, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Gary will rise from the dead. There is a resurrection Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to read one final quote. Don't underestimate the value and the significance of your soul. Hear hear the rebuke of the wise. Consider the end of all flesh. We get so caught up in mag- huge events in the world. Russia's invading the Ukraine. COVID was a big deal. And, and I'm not trying to minimize those things. Rather, understand that you are alive and you will never not be. You will continue to be forever. Forever. You have this time before you enter this box to determine what your forever will be and look like. C.S. Lewis wrote this quote. I I used it in a sermon last week, and Mary found it encouraging. I wanted just to read it. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, 
arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. United States of America's life is to Gary's life like a gnat. The same holds true for you, because one day the U.S. will not be. One day Ukraine will not be. There will never be a day where anyone in this room is not. You just may not be happy about it. It is with immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And our joy is that Gary has entered into life in everlasting splendor. With a glory and a joy we can only imagine, even as many of us in this room look forward to experiencing and seeing. Gary's desire, Mary's desire, the Lord's desire, that that you would come to know his forgiveness in Christ, that you would repent, that you would believe, that you would confess your sin to him, that you would trust in his son, that you would have the hope that Gary would have, that you might, even if you die before the Lord returns, return with him along with Gary and countless others. I know, I know that's Gary's desire. I know that's Mary's desire. That's my desire. I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and then we're going to hear a special music. Lord God, I pray that you would open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears, that you would strike from our minds the folly of pretending this is not significant, that this is unimportant. Rather, this event testifies to us the reality of our sin and guilt, the inescapable nature of death and judgment. Oh, Lord, let us look that in the face and acknowledge it and accept it. And let us look beyond that to the hope offered us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we might flee the wrath to come, that we might find safety in your Son, that his righteousness might be our covering, that his life might be credited to us, that our sins might be taken and borne by him on the cross, that we, too, might be unafraid to die because we, too, will know where we will go when we die. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.